to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in the space. So I hope I remember how to do this thing. Thanks for covering. It's been a few weeks, dude. Where have you been? So I uh, had to go to the office, and the office is in London, which was great. Uh, interestingly enough, that was about 40 degrees, upper 40 degrees Fahrenheit with a little bit of rain, and they were apologizing, sadly, for the weather. You can't and, say Fahrenheit and describe weather when you're in London in Fahrenheit. Well, you have to do the Celsius thing. I can't do the math in my head. <laughs> but the funny thing was, you know, about Just bloody cold would be the way I describe it. Well, 30 minutes after I left Chicago, their 10 inches of snow started and my son had to come bail out my wife. So oh, no. I was more than happy with upper 40s and freedom units in London just fine. And then after yeah, that, no I went joke. to uh, the Office 365 and SharePoint Live conference in Orlando, Florida, which was not in the 40 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> See, if I did that, I would definitely get ill in that much of a temperature change that short of time. Yeah, so uh, a good good couple of weeks, and um, but it's good to be back and and energized on product development. So, how you been the last couple of weeks? Really busy. Um, Yina has now been out for what feels like eons, but it's only been two weeks, and um, doing her responsibilities for Microsoft Graph as well as my own role is um, definitely challenging but um, no it's good all around it's um, it's been great exposure into bits that she was clearly not hiding from me but keeping me a little bit away from so that I, I onboarded in a in a in a steady way because I've been there now since June and um, now kind of the, the band-aids have uh, been ripped off and all the blinkers have been taken off and you know I have full exposure to the entire Microsoft graph kind of how how it's all made and not just the DevX world aspect of it and so there's been a bunch of things this week that has been good learning of oh that's how we currently do this and this is an area we really need to go fix um, so yeah it's been challenging well I'm glad that you completed the part of your job that is my favorite in that the docs are now on the docs.microsoft.com platform. That's awesome. I know. That was bittersweet. And you know what? Yina's last day, um, we were joking because I was like, oh, I wonder what's going to come first, the docs going GA or her baby arriving. <laughs> <laughs> and I beat her by two days on Go Live. Excellent. Um, and um, yeah, it was quite funny because she was saying that that the Sunday before we went live was actually the three-year anniversary of her being on stage to announce the GA of V1.0, two years, three years, um, which was pretty cool. So there's a nice like sentiment that we finally got round to getting the docs on there. And it's incredible, actually, what it's done. Um, the biggest change, other than just visually looking a lot nicer and uh, working on browsers and iPads, which a lot of, I know a lot of devs do when they're, they're coding, they have their tablet next to them, um, was that from a search engine perspective, just the SEO is just incredibly better now in Google and Bing, uh, picking things up. And we made the effort of putting all the directs in from the old page links over and 
cleaning up, you know, things like changing the file names that we weren't really governing well to all be dashes and not underscores, which has helped with SEO. And yeah, it was a, it was a big project and uh, I'm glad it's there. And the best bit about all this now is from a Dex perspective is now we're on that platform. There's a bunch of stuff we can start to light up. Um, so the first few things we're tackling is um, adding SDK snippets directly into the documentation, not just having REST samples in there. And also embedding Graph Explorer directly into the, uh, the docs as a try experience. So, yeah, we'll be excited to get those things going. And um, there's engineers busily working on that stuff right now. So um, it's going to roll a lot quicker now we're on the platform, which is uh, a good thing. Well, and tying into that rolling quicker, right? So here's a, a tip for all the developers out there, right? If we're consuming Microsoft Graph or, or any service, now that the docs are actually based on GitHub, if you go find that GitHub repo and watch it, you can get notifications as the documentations are being in. So, for example, I follow the Teams docs, and so the, they are coding the docs and, and, and in a branch on that repo, and then to push them in, right? It's all out in public. So you get a sense of what's coming and how fast, how near it is to being done. And obviously, you don't want to write code in production against the beta endpoints, but it certainly is a great visibility to see what's coming, how close things are, get an understanding. And, and it's interesting to watch as, as the, 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 the docs get written and then reviewed and they you know clean up some names. And obviously, it's out in the open. You can open an issue and make a comment in there if you want as it's being built. So it's a great platform. It can help everybody. Yeah. In, in actual fact, they've actually always been on GitHub for like the last three years. Um, the platform that we were running on was also driven by the same GitHub. And one of the decisions I made uh, in taking on this project when I joined, which had already been running for about a year and a half already, was that we wanted to try and maintain the exact same folder structure in the repo so that the history was there of everything since we started. Um, unfortunately, Git renames kind of got in our way a little bit where we rename files. Um, interestingly, in github.com, the history pages don't work if you rename the file from an underscore to a dash, but the blame page does. And obviously, in the command line, the log um, commands do, um, which is a little bit inconvenient because it doesn't show up a lot of the contributions of files that were underscores that are now dashes directly in GitHub and therefore not in the docs.microsoft.com. But um, yeah, absolutely. Like I watch. I mean, I own it, so I get emails every day when things are being pushed in and so forth. But it's a good way of going, oh, Nick Kramer's working on some stuff on the Teams API. Let's go see what he's shipping. Um, and so that's great, great way of kind of keeping up on that way. Now, yes, ideally, we'd have a roadmap. Um, and we'd have, uh, our, I think our changelog is finally there in terms of the granularity that nothing gets in our service without being on the changelog in the docs. But um, we do need a roadmap, and we are getting better at user voice. Um, but yeah, the docs is definitely a great way of keeping on the pulse of what's going on. Yes, absolutely. So docs, yay. Second kind of very large project that I took over when I joined shipped. So um, justifying my paycheck day by day. Um, and then um, in other news, uh, the community call happened, which was great. And we had Brian Jacket and Daryl Miller come on. So if you are using Microsoft Graph SDKs, I definitely recommend going and listening to what Daryl's explaining about where we're going with the SDKs. And um, Brian talked about the journey he went on as a premier field engineer, um, talking about the um, the Microsoft Graph 30 day series, which we had on as an episode on this show last week, but he kind of demonstrates from end to end a bunch of demos on that, which is cool. And then um, in addition to that, there is a hackathon that started for the security graph 
which is part of the Microsoft Graph APIs or Security Graph APIs on the Microsoft Graph. And um, there's a hack, and I always forget the numbers, but I will just quickly open the page because um, the hack has prizes, which is always important as a developer. And it's 15,000 cash prize pool, which I think is a 10 grand prize for place one. Um, and there's a bunch of rules and stuff. But um, there's some really cool ideas that people are coming up with already as part of this hack. And it's all run through the devpost.com. So if, you've, if you're familiar with some of the other hackathons we've done on Office 365, this is another one that um, is super useful. And one of the prizes is a chance to present at Build. Which build is gold 2019. Dust. Yeah. 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 So, you know, those things don't come around often. Um, and we've started talking about that and we're talking about who's presenting and already. And, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see uh, what topics make it and which ones don't. There's um, a very tough panel this year on <laughs> what content's going to make it and what isn't. Yeah, and Nina will be back for that. Oh, there you go. Yeah, she didn't so, want to miss the opportunity, so she's going to be back for Bill for that. Yeah. Um, and then... Yeah. What, what else have you seen out there? Because there's been a fair amount of stuff going on. Yeah. So I found a, a couple of Microsoft Teams related things that uh, I uh, wanted to highlight. One is that um, there is there has been for some time a, a enterprise template in the Azure bot service. And they've just added now a virtual assistant overview. Overview, and this is I don't. It's not under the patterns and practices banner, but you can think of it like that. So it's certainly a couple of more realistic or more more real life use cases for how to use a bot. And obviously, for in my world, that's Microsoft Teams. But this this is again built on Bot Framework V4, which is getting more and more momentum. So that was a, it's a great little overview to get you how how can I. Great, I can write a bot and I can hook it up to the Lua service, but how do I provide value to users? So that's a, some great input on that. So that's the virtual assistant solution overview, and, and as well, the, the enterprise template is in the in the same section. And what, what was cool with that is, um, which was kind of daunting a little bit, it's the first time I've kind of, I don't usually get nervous. Um, and it was the first time I was like, oh, wow, there's a lot of people in this room. And we were doing our planning for the next six months and talking about what things we're focusing on from an engineering effort. And now that uh, Lily Cheng's org is within E&D underneath Rajesh, um, essentially the other half of Microsoft being Azure. And um, that's made a big difference moving out of a research team into a, a true product team. And so the momentum there is going to get significant in terms of what you see and the quality and um, not there wasn't quality before, but I just think a different muscle will be used now that they're in this role. And so um, it was really interesting to see Lily in that room, listening closely to what we're doing and what we're shipping um, in our org around Microsoft graph and kind of the extensibility layer at a service side of Microsoft 365. So actionable messages and uh, Microsoft search and, and how she was interested in that from other areas. So it's great to have Lily's team plugged in there. And I think you'll start to see a lot more integration across things um, at, from an enterprise side. And that's just one example of it, which is cool. I, I can't wait. I have some feedback for that, but I'll put that in a future podcast because uh, the, I have to get my thoughts together. But they're, they're, that's awesome to hear. 
The next thing I want to highlight is a, a tech community article uh, by Caruana Gitamu about accelerating your Microsoft Teams adoption journey with their new Teams toolkit. And I, uh, I 100% understand this is not necessarily a developer topic, but it can certainly, I think developers are more comfortable in Teams using a chat interface with the various third-party tools that exist out there. And so it certainly is something you should be aware of if you are trying to roll out Teams or build an app in Teams and get people to use it. There's a lot of information being put out by the the consumption side of the Microsoft Teams team that'll help you uh, get, get your users on board. And, and as the service gets more and more features, more and more capabilities, uh, it's not that that train's not stopping. So it's be good to get on board sooner rather than later. It's interesting. The um, the layout of this is like a magazine download. I've not seen this before. I don't know what platform that is, but it's hosted as an Azure website. Um, Definitely worth a look just to see kind of that user experience as well. Yeah. And then there was one other one that we'd all picked up on, um, which was the SharePoint sites design, which I know that we've had Sean Squires on to talk about, but what, what what's new in that um, world? Because it was posted on December 14th, so this is very recent. Yeah, so the, it's an incremental update, and the uh, um, they've had some update to um, – the PowerShell. So one is that you can you can point the PowerShell at a list, for example, and it'll come in and it'll generate the script for you to how to how to recreate that list. So almost like a templating type of thing. Yeah, it's uh, like a re- reverse engineer aspect. Yeah, yeah. And then they've also added the um, they've increased the size of of you can do the what they call large site script support. So obviously they uh, just, when they launched it didn't let you do everything under the sun. So they're getting more to increasing that. Uh, the ability there. So a couple little uh, tweaks, but I would argue these are quite important to be able to do in-depth building and, and obviously templatize what your users have built. I, that's that's always a, a good thing for me. I tell the user, well, you just go, you go click around for three days and figure out what it is you really want. And when you're really, really sure that's what you want, then I can take it from you. So that's all good stuff there. Yeah, it's interesting. I was just looking on uh, online. I, there was a project I was involved with called SP Source. And this was way back when, um, in 2007. And that pointed at a SharePoint site and kind of created all the list schema files that before you kind of had a hand crank from scratch, which were awful, like some of them like 15,000 lines of code, um, so that you could then use them in a declarative way to package in a feature and deploy as a solution package to your your farm so it's interesting it's like the same patterns still make sense in the modern world in sharepoint um but now rather than it being open source projects they're actually shipping these things at core in the product which is great yes and and if you want to learn more about sharepoint site scripts as well as anything else sharepoint related the sharepoint conference 2019 happening in las vegas in may is happening you can register now and if you use the code shafeline you can get what? a discount no, on no, your no. registration you have to use the code jfake <laughs> Yeah. Uh, oh, anyways, man. That's just hey, a roundabout way. We're ads on this podcast. I'm going to have to edit this out. That's, that's just cheating. <laughs> so, so if you want to learn more about SharePoint site scripts or site designs or SharePoint in general, come to the Las Vegas SharePoint Conference 2019. Are it's you speaking, May. Paul? We haven't even am, talked about this yet. I am speaking, yes. Um, it, it's good that you brought that question up because I'm doing a session on uh, introduct, introductory development for Microsoft Teams. Yeah, and then I am 
co-presenting a session about using the SharePoint framework in an enterprise setting with the illustrious Eric Shups, known as the SharePoint Cowboy, who's our guest this week. Yeah, what uh, did you guys talk about? So uh, Eric was also at the conference in Orlando with me, and so we, we grabbed was the corner. Was he wearing his cowboy hat? Uh, I, well, on stage, but I, I don't rate <laughs> the cowboy hat myself. You know, after he sees you a few times, he's like, well, I'm not going to bother impressing you. So, um, But uh, we sat down and talked about his session as well as this, the, the, the topics that we'll be covering in, in May around using uh, your enter, what we're calling enterprise tools such as Visual Studio and and Azure DevOps with your SharePoint framework development. And that includes the extension that we collaborated on over a year or so ago. And then more of these practices that were we know and love from Visual Studio from writing code back in the day and apply that to the new modern SharePoint framework development. So yeah, I, a, I like Shops because he's got so much real world, like he's out on big customer sites and he's more than happy to share it. Um, so there's always insights from this. So yeah, thanks for doing the interview while you've been traveling. And um, Everyone that's listening, enjoy the show. There will be a few more that we punt, punch out before the end of the year. So um, keep listening. Keep telling your friends. We would yes. love iTunes reviews because that seems to be the big way of getting more followers. Um, so if there's one thing you do on your time over the holidays, please fill out an iTunes review because it does seem to make a big difference. And that is where the majority of our audience actually is. So uh, thanks, Paul. I uh, uh, like what I said. And use the code Chafeline. You'll get a discount. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the benefit is it's way easier to put the code J Thake in than it is Shafeline. Who can spell Shafeline? Come on. Nobody. Yeah, exactly. Jay Tahaki. It's that easy. <laughs> Always a pleasure, buddy. Cheers, buddy. Have a good right. week. So I'm here today with Eric Shups. Hello, Eric. Hey, Paul. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, absolutely. So for those who don't know you, can you introduce yourself a little bit for us? Yeah, Eric Shups, SharePoint MVP, President Binary Wave, SharePoint all-around developer, architect, general, dog's body. <laughs> and uh, we're here at the Live360 conference, and uh, what were we talking about this week? Uh, well, I was talking about how nice and warm it was until today when it suddenly turned cold. It <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so this week I did a um, all-up modern developer workshop, uh, and then I've been talking about Azure AD applications and SharePoint framework in the enterprise. And what do you say is uh, Azure AD application? What does that mean to you? Well, there's, as you're aware, there's four development models really for SharePoint: full trust, SharePoint framework, add-ins, uh, and then there's this sort of separate stand-beside. Um, model for building web applications uh, that use the Azure AD authentication uh, framework. And they fit into the picture being that they live in the app launcher and you can access them from anywhere in Office 365. So single sign-on across the entirety of the stack and using the graph APIs and the SharePoint RESTful um, services to communicate uh, with SharePoint. Uh, so from a SharePoint developer perspective, these are applications that you would probably uplift from .NET or LOB systems that you have uh, already in the enterprise and you want to move them up into the cloud. And it's an easy, um, low-friction way to get those applications in the cloud without having to worry about putting a square peg in a round hole for SharePoint Framework or an add-in where they don't really fit. 
And do you uh, so so binary wave does a uh, software development type work, right? So your customers are doing a lot of these uh, upshift type models, or what kind of work? Yeah, do you we do on the binary wave side. We tend to do more um, uh, managed services around on-premises customers and architecture work, primarily still for on-premises um, stuff. On we have a sister company in the UK called Aptigent that does most of our app development, um, things like Training Plus and uh, Support Plus, and some of the other apps that we have out there. A lot of Azure AD applications on that side. Some SharePoint framework stuff, but mostly Azure AD. Yeah, and so you're finding a lot of uh, customers uh, prefer this alongside model instead of integrating into SharePoint? Um, I, it's still new to a lot of folks. Okay. I don't know if that there is a preference yet. I, I think that developers certainly like that it fits their existing ALM story. It's They're not having to change models and learn a new tooling framework like they do for SharePoint framework. That's a big impediment for a lot of folks, uh, especially inside of the enterprise. Um, so the Azure AD model just lets them take their existing stuff. Oh, we write MVC apps? Well, you can do that in um, Azure AD applications as well. All you have to do is bring in the authentication okay. bit. So um, I think that they're in, in surveying the landscape, we're starting to see things fit into the boxes kind of where they um, belong, with the only one that being a little weird, the add-in model, because nobody's really figured out where the perfect use case is for that yet. But it's pretty much, if it doesn't fit as an Azure AD application or Discover framework, it's an add-in. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And with the, the latest updates with the what they call the isolated um, deployment model of SPFX still kind of address that. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm it's almost building that. a provider-hosted uh, app in SharePoint Framework. Yeah. Uh, and it leverages the same techniques that we used in uh, add-ins. So I think we're seeing a little bit of blending yeah. there, but we still don't have, SharePoint Framework is really designed to be an in-page contextual model, whereas provider-hosted apps, you can give a full multi-page experience or do a spa type of experience. So there, there's certainly still a place for those, especially for ISVs, but we're starting to see more of that shift to the Azure AD side. And so you, you mentioned uh, SPFX and the development framework, and for those who don't know, Eric is the man who did all the work behind the Visual Studio extension for SharePoint Framework. Well, that's rather humble of you. I did do all the work. You did some of it as well. <laughs> yeah, and so we, 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 I went to a dev kitchen and I complained, where's Visual Studio, where's Visual Studio? And everyone ignored me. Then there was a second dev kitchen that Eric was at. And I said, where's Visual Studio extension? And he said, oh, we can write that. And so, and so we, we did. <laughs> and so um, you just re uh, revved that to 1.7. Yeah, we'll be that? releasing 1.7 uh, probably uh, by the time folks hear this. 1.7 will be out with support for the new 1.7 enhancements. Uh, uh, the connected by parts and, and whatnot. And really, we're just wrapping around the generator. Um, so whatever comes along new in the command line switches in the generator, we build it in. But this week, I was showing people how they can use that to integrate with Visual Studio Team Services in the cloud, do an automated build pipeline where you can check it into TFS, run it through its build process, deploy it back to the app catalog, um, all automated on um, check-in via TFS or Git or whatever mechanism right. that you're using. Right, and, and those that capability is not necessarily unique to Visual Studio, but I, to your point about enterprise developers who are in Visual Studio anyways, yeah? Yeah, it's not unique. The integration points are, right? Right-click, you know, commit um, right into the build tool chain. It's all in our IDE, whereas it's harder to do that in other IDEs. Take VS Code, for example, where you, you go out to run your Git command line stuff to put it into Git, and you have to have some way to trigger it in Visual Studio, right? So you, you set up the trigger on the commit. There's just some extra steps that you have to go through, which is fine if you're comfortable in that environment. It works both ways, yeah. but for those who are, that's why we built it, right? For people who are familiar working in Visual Studio and like that as their IDE, um, they can no longer say, well, you can't 
do SharePoint Framework in Visual Studio. Yeah, you absolutely can. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. And then, um, what other uh, trends are you seeing on SharePoint? Well, so first question is, that are you calling things outside of SharePoint? Are you doing a lot of the graph API work, or is it really just SharePoint-focused type of work that you're, you're seeing? No, I think people are doing a lot of both. Um, as they're consuming more services like Teams, I think will um, that's very new to folks, just the concept of extending Teams. So I think, I know you have a talk this week as well, um, uh, strictly on Teams development. I think that'll be probably the hot area for the next year as people trying to figure out how to integrate that into their development um, chain. What's good about that is the SharePoint framework components work both in Teams and in um, inside of SharePoint. So you have... It's not a fully unified model, yeah. but it's pretty close, right? We can do similar <laughs> stuff in both. Well, from a developer perspective, common code base is most of the problem, right? A little yeah, bit absolutely. Of yeah, yeah. And so, um, what else? What other thing are you seeing? Anything else that that's out? Maybe not necessarily in in the office space, but other development trends or techniques that have, have caught your interest recently? Well, I think we're. I work a lot with enterprise organizations, so we're starting to see people trying to figure out. Okay, we have the cloud. Right? Maybe it's hybrid, maybe we're all in. It's almost always hybrid. We have the cloud, we have some capabilities. Now, how are we going to move things that we had, legacy on-premises, into the cloud? Are we going to go to 2019, or are we going to stand pat at 2013, 2016, um, and make our cloud investments there where we're going uh, moving forward? Um, some will do that, some won't, but they're they're starting to have that conversation about, we have this LOB system, we developed it in SharePoint, it does these things. How can we move that into the cloud? And what model do we use to get it there? So definitely more discussion. It, it's not, oh, we're going to learn SharePoint Framework because it's the new shiny thing. It's now how do we do real business stuff with this? Rather than just people producing cool web parts and widgets that you can put on a page, that we're now having business discussions about. I have to talk to SAP. I have to go communicate out to my legacy on-premises databases. There's this other SaaS service I have to plug into. How are we really going to make this stuff work to get business done? Yeah, and and the the uh, Azure AD applications that you referenced in, in your session this week, I think can help with that because if I want to do a lot of this. SaaS systems or on-prem systems who are building a service or architecture of some sort, so how do we make sure those are secure? So do you see customers going down that path? Do you, do you help them do that? Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of that stuff, you know, we used to tell people, oh, build it in SharePoint because you get this and that and the other yeah. thing. And, and while that was true and it wasn't still as good middleware, there was a really steep curve to getting stuff in there. And at the end of the day, when you look at it, why are we writing web parts and application pages and timer jobs when 90% of our code is just .NET stuff anyway, right? It's not SharePoint-y at all. We just put it in SharePoint because that's where people are going. Um, it, the cloud changes that because they're going to Office 365, they're going to Teams, they're going to Planner, they're going to various different services as part of the architecture. And your Azure AD apps just become part of that service chain with that integrated sign-on, which is one of the big things everyone is concerned about. So I think, um, and maybe I'm being optimistic here, but I think that we'll start to see people look at it and go, all right, line of business applications, Azure AD uh, web apps. Um, SharePoint extensibility customization, right, component web part stuff goes into SharePoint. Um, framework and the good news is that those aren't mutually exclusive. They can work together. You can call back into SharePoint from the Azure AD applications along with the rest of the stack, and more importantly, you can leverage all the other Azure bits, which I think is where the key interoperability comes from. You get the service bus and the data gateways and the Power BI integration and all that 
stuff that you can do that you don't have access to inside of a SharePoint framework solution because it's contextual on the page. Yeah, yeah. and, and um, to, to your point about getting the single sign-on through Azure AD is helpful, right? Because the next step, it's not terribly difficult to now just have a, an API layer that gives me an Azure AD token to authenticate with, right? So um, to your point, I think that's pretty helpful. Um, do you spend a lot of time kicking around the tires on the other services in the, the suite, the Flow or Power Apps or? Not as much as I'd like, like I, a little bit here and there. I've played a little bit with Flow and Power Apps. Um, I, that's definitely more of an end user story. Um, the, the Flow piece will be interesting, I think, when it matures and becomes a proper workflow engine. They've got some work left to do there. They're doing some really good stuff with it, but it's going to take some time before it's on par with proper workflow. And because of the customers that I work with in the enterprise, it's not really a, a feasible option for them because of the pure cloud dependency um, on it and the connectability with other systems behind the firewall. Um, so I think we'll see that continue to mature, and that's good. Um, I'm I'm lucky if I can pop open Teams once a week and actually do something productive in there. So, no, I, unfortunately, I don't get to do as much of it as I was like. But I am intrigued by the Teams development piece with the SharePoint framework stuff that you'll be talking about, about how we can do, as you mentioned, a unified code base to expose functionality so that it doesn't matter whether they're in a SharePoint team site or they're working in Teams. It's the same component. It's the same visualization yeah. that they're working well, with. Well, and in reality, it's, at the end of the day, it's a React component. So if you can host the uh, an HTML page somewhere, anywhere, the code will work, right? So right, exactly. I, I, I think that can certainly be helpful. Um, what... Um, you mentioned a little bit before a couple of the apps you've written and, and uh, Training Plus caught my eye. And so that is a, a type of application that's more integrated into SharePoint or Office 365, right? So do you see a lot of people trying to say, I want to um, tie in closely, or is it more line of business work that, that you think well, is, is... Yeah, is, that's is, interesting. You know. We've got two sides to that. One is an add-in um, that's contextual, uh, and that's Support Plus. And then we have the pure standalone Azure AD app that's, that's Training Plus. Um, just because we're covering such a broad swath with Training Plus, it's the whole stack all up. Um, I think people are comfortable where it's at, just living in the app launcher, and I can go get to stuff. But we also provide, in fact, we just shipped a couple of weeks ago, full SCORM integration. So if you want to build it into your LMS system, you make it contextual. We have a deep linking uh, piece in there that you can uh, put things in on a contextual yeah. basis. So I don't... I don't see that the, it's really customer demand driven. The SCORM thing was because people yeah. like having stuff in their LMS. But um, some of the other apps that we're doing um, are maybe a little more interested from a demand perspective. We're about to launch an app in the higher ed space for a partner um, that's all Azure AD and, and we'll be integrating with Power BI and some other components of the stack there. And it'll be interesting to see what additional demands. For example, you mentioned Flow, and, I, and I've talked to the project team several times about the fact that we're running an Azure AD and everything is service-driven. Um, all of our controllers are service-driven. So you could write a Flow, right? It uses an OAuth um, authorization scheme, so you could write a Flow to connect into the application to do whatever you want for extensibility. Um, purposes. And it'll be interesting to see how users react to that and what sort of things that they demand, right? We, yeah. You've got this big toolbox. What are you going to do with it? Yeah. And, and, and so do you, do you still find people trying to uh, 
to have these user experiences within the, the tools, right? There, there is a push for a while um, inside of Microsoft or, or saying, well, we have these like office, you can open the add-in pane and do my work while I'm in, in context to what I'm trying to accomplish in a Word document or an Outlook, as opposed to these standalone apps. Have you seen any push one way or the other or, or feedback on those? No, I think that um, office add-ins are actually pretty cool. I don't think they got as much attention um, as maybe they should have there's still plenty of opportunity there uh, for that in places where that makes a lot of sense. But you're working in Outlook or, or you know, working in Word or Excel, and you need that contextual capability. I think it just depends on the workload that they're after, which is where Teams gets really interesting, right? Because you're in a conversation, you switch to a tab, and now you have a component, and you're contextual yeah. in there. I don't think it makes any sense in that um, methodology of, of interacting with data and with other people because you're all in one pane of glass there to switch out and do something else somewhere else. I know they have the Azure AD piece coming for Teams, and I think what we'll do is back integrate um, our content into Teams so it's exposed, strip off our UI and put it in the Teams UI and see how people react to that. I think it makes sense in that scenario to give them what they want, where they're working, rather than go off and do it somewhere else. Yeah, I think um, the the work that I'm doing is along that lines as well, thinking that uh, we're trying to solve a problem and how can the technology help without getting in the way, right? So I think, but, but, but to your point about Azure AD apps and all that stuff, I think that certainly is going to serve developers pretty well. Um, the, have you been um, um, kicking around with uh, any of the, the the graph endpoints that are unusual? Have you been poking around? Is there anything new? The, the security ones don't get a lot of love, or the, uh, um, the the team stuff just went went uh, to V1. So I'm curious if you've seen any of those. No, we, we the work that we've done is pretty basic in terms of integration with the graph APIs. We do some interesting stuff with the Azure management APIs, and and they're. Um, RESTful endpoints and whatnot for provisioning things like databases out in SQL and and um, on-the-fly resource groups and stuff like that that are fairly interesting. Uh, uh, maybe those eventually become graph yeah. endpoints as well, like the SharePoint mm -hmm. APIs, right? Which would be great to have one unified surface there for those. But no, we haven't gone really into the weeds on some of the graph stuff. But, but do, do you do you find some commonality? I mean, using a REST endpoint, I assume you've written that code once and it's just reusable over yeah, and over. Yeah, yeah. Well, is, it's not not just the endpoints and structuring the URLs, it's just the whole authorization process is consistent. Yeah. Right? You need a token, you need a token, you need a token, right? It's just which flow are you using um, to get that token and get authorization to the endpoint, right? So that I like that consistency in that we're doing it the same way each time. Doesn't matter which endpoint that um, we're referencing. Um, and I would love to see more work go into the graph um, side to start consolidating more of these APIs so that we have a single endpoint that we're referencing rather than multiple ones um, with different implementations. But. If you've been working with the SharePoint RESTful APIs, you go over to the Graph APIs, it's very consistent in terms of here are our OData um, functions, here's how they work, here's how we call the endpoints, here's how we set it up. So, yeah, I definitely like where they're going with that. Yeah, I, I joke with Jeremy Kelly often enough, it's a great idea. There's just such a vast API endpoint. How, how do you move it all at once, right? So I certainly can, can feel for that. Um, well, that's great. So what have, what's on the horizon for you? Have you got other sessions people can see you? or? Yeah, or I think that's anything? it for um, this year. Probably not until um, February, I think, we kick off uh, again in Austin with a conference. And then uh, SharePoint Conference will be in May. There's some European pieces in between. I do about I do as many shows in Europe as I do 
um, in the okay. States. Actually, this year I did more in Europe than I did in the States. But um, we have the SharePoint conference in Vegas that uh, you and I will be speaking at, it, uh, talking about SharePoint framework in the yeah. enterprise and the challenges um, thereof. Um, <clears throat> so I think that'll be the next big event with some smaller ones um, in between. Excellent. And you uh, still have your user group in Dallas, yes? Or? We do, yeah. We're still going strong, um, and uh, we still have a good membership base. Uh, we cover more Office 365 stuff than we ever did in the past. I think it's it's probably a little bit more cloud-oriented now more than it used yeah. to be, just because there aren't as many innovations on-prem uh, so by the time we've covered it in cloud, you come back in on-prem where we've already kind of covered it. But we did a whole 2019 uh, piece uh, a couple of months back when that was announced for uh, GA, uh, and we still have a solid core of users that's on-premises. Yeah. So we always want to make sure we have content. Yeah, and it's one of the user groups that I still see going strong. I mean, it's, yeah. been, it's been tough for a lot of people. We're so. still carrying on. We've got a great base um, there in Dallas, and they keep showing up. I guess when they stop showing up, we'll stop <laughs> doing it. But. Yeah, excellent. Well, thanks for taking time today. It's uh, great to have you, and always great to catch out. Let's Absolutely. Go grab a beer. Let's do it. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. That's all, folks. 